In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 19, starting around verse 23. In this text, we explore those tumultuous events in Ephesus, which is a city driven by idol worship. And Paul's teachings, well, they clash with those who benefit from the lucrative idol trade. It results in a lot of uproar and danger as a religious riot breaks out. Witness Paul's escape from the chaos today on the show. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Tuesday, August 22nd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. But without any further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest for today. It's the Reverend Jacob Herkamp, pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Noblesville, Indiana. Good morning, Pastor. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me, and a blessed good morning to you as well. Well, I'm excited for our text for today. It should be a pretty interesting one, and I imagine that we're going to be able to make some connections to our lives today. But before we get into any of that, before we catch people up where we've been, why don't we start our time together in prayer? And brother, I'd like to invite you to lead us in that prayer. Thank you. Let us pray. Merciful Father, we give you thanks for the opportunity to be in your word this day as we uh, dive into Acts chapter 19 and 20. We pray, Lord, that you would open our minds as we learn more about you and the work that you have done um, through the hands of your servants, Paul, um, and so many others um, as we read their their events, um, read about their events in Ephesians or in Ephesus, and uh, bless us as we learn more about your son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that we have in him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're continuing the narrative from yesterday, uh, but maybe in case folks hadn't heard or it's just, you know, a good idea to add some context, why don't you catch us up? Uh, How have we gotten or how has Paul gotten to where he's at today? Well, uh, Paul was uh, traveling. He was, of course, always that guy. Um, But from what I recall is that he was at Corinth and uh, then went from Corinth over um, to Ephesus. So he, um, going back to the beginning of chapter 19 there, um, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Um, And there he found some disciples and um, was learning more about the, the men who were there and they, he comes to realize that they only know John the Baptist and John's baptism and know nothing of the Holy Spirit um, and um, winds up speaking to them for quite a long time about um, the Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, and the baptism that he has brought into the world by his death and resurrection and then through which the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh. And in so doing, they become... Um, baptized members of the kingdom. Um, we hear the the way um, is being um, assaulted 
Um, there is evil being spoken against the way before the congregation a little later. And then um, he stays in Ephesus for quite some time. And in the meantime, there we have the situation of um, Jews trying to cast out demons and the wonderful um, situation where the demons start speaking to them. Um, Paul, I know, and Paul, I recognize, or Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? Um, and all of the residents of Ephesus are learning more and more um, about that situation and that episode. And then the name of Jesus, our Lord, was being extolled. And um, Paul is continuing to teach and preach there in Ephesus, and the number continues to rise. Um, and that's kind of where we find ourselves now. Uh, Paul, if I'm not mistaken, stays in Ephesus for around three years. Um, so we're, I'm not exactly for sure when the this riot um, that we're going to come into um, in a second um, occurs in that time frame. I assume it's near the end, um, but we don't have a time reference to it um, per se. But we certainly hear what happens um, because of that riot and how that riot um, begins and uh, thus comes to an end. Well, we have been through quite a bit, even since uh, Paul has entered Ephesus, as you said. You know, we had the the sons of Siva and the burning of the magical books. Now we're getting ready to have, I guess, I think it's on his way out because this tends to be one of the last things that happens. Uh, but we're going to start with verse 21, and I'm going to read to, oh, about 27, and then we'll pause for a moment and talk about it. So here we go, Acts chapter 19, verse 21 from the ESV. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trays and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, uh, she whom Asia and the world worship. All right, so that's the, the end of verse 27. So, all right, so yeah, he's, he continues to, I want to say he continues to get in trouble, but not really. The The message of Christ continues to uh, butt up against the sinful desires of the world. And, and here we have another instance of that. These guys made a lot of money on this idle trade. I, I think it's interesting that it seems like they're more concerned about the loss of wages than their gods being disparaged. But anyway, take us through this. Yeah, so um, I, I um, will just comment a little bit here. You know, Artemis is a Greek goddess. Um, she's, it's kind of an interesting thing that here we are in um, Ephesus, and she is the goddess um, there, the chief goddess. 
she's the goddess of wild animals and hunting. So uh, being a hunter myself, I um, appreciate the uh, stories around Artemis sometimes. Um, but she is the patron deity of Ephesus. And what's interesting too um, is here is Demetrius, a s s silversmith who is known to make things with his hands um, that are shrines or idols. Um, well, we can go into the Old Testament in so many different places, Isaiah in particular, about um, how dumb um, idols made with hands are because they neither can hear, they neither can see, they neither can feel. And then you can go all the way back to um, the situation where the Ark of the Covenants was carried into the Temple of Dagon by the Philistines back way back in uh, 1 Samuel. And there you have uh, the, the Ark of the Covenants inside that temple. And the next morning, the, the um, servants of Dagon go in, the priests of Dagon go in, and they see his hands cut off. And then ultimately they do it again the next day and his head's, head's knocked off. And the rest of the body is bowing down before the, um, the Ark. So they realize, or they should be realizing um, we're in big trouble because of what Paul is preaching. And you're right, it, the word of Christ is bumping up against um, the, the sinful world and the idolatry of the world um, to the point now where it's, a, it's becoming a major problem for, for Demetrius and for the other um, silversmiths and, and the like. And Paul also, a little later, um, speaks in the other letters to Timothy, speaks about a coppersmith haven't causing him much harm as well. And this, this event also appears um, to at least be alluded to um, in second Corinthians one verse eight uh, about the um, you all know, or should be aware of the issues that we've had um, in Ephesus. Um, so this is not something that uh, Paul um, forgets um, and, uh, and the like, but here, here is Demetrius, um, really upset about what is he's seen, what he's probably heard for the last couple of years. And now he's seen just how many people in Ephesus proper are um, turning to the way. Um, and that is a big, um, big thing that that term the way. Um, <clears throat> typically, we've when you hear the the way, um, the use of the term the way is the Christian um, religion or Christianity before they were called Christians. Um, the way first shows up in Acts 9, verse 2 um, in the book of Acts, but Luke utilizes the that phrase, the way, many times in his gospel already. And then it appears here um, in 1923, and then it's going to show up again, the term, the way, um, in Acts 24, uh, 14, and then 24, 22. So um, when we hear that, we are talking about the Christian religion that Paul is preaching, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. So the way is a great name for, for Christianity. Um, and certainly, um, as we've already talked about, there is um, major problems with the, uh, the people who are so enamored with um, their goddess Artemis and the money that is being made by, by their hands creating these idol um, pieces.
Yeah, I think it's interesting that it's at the very end. It's almost like an afterthought in verse 27 where they say, and there's danger not only that this trade of ours might come into disrepute, but that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. But it really does seem like an afterthought because their first concern is, you know, this is where our wealth comes from. And, and you know, they yeah. brought no little business to the craftsmen. So it's something that's just, I guess, the bedrock of their economy. And I think well, that brings I wanna, up... Go ahead. I was going to say, I want to say that the Temple of Artemis here in Ephesus is one of the um, wonders of the world, the seven great wonders um, as well. So it's not a um, small thing that Ephesus has. Uh, when it comes to the temple, but certainly all of that, they're more, like you said, they're more concerned with their money-making venture um, than with, they, I think most people um, by this point in time would see, you know, Artemis as, oh, well, it's kind of neat, but it's not really, it, Artemis doesn't have as much power as we think it does, or we, we say it does. Perhaps. Well, and it just brings, it brings to my mind uh, who, in whom or in what are you putting your faith, hope, and trust? So obviously these are not Christian believers. They believe in their pantheon of gods. Uh, their main concern, as so many people, even today's main concern, is making a living, right? And working, being able to uh, afford the luxuries of this life. Uh, but they're going to have a resistance to even listening to the message because well, their religion is caught up in their way of life and in, in their in the way that they take care of themselves. They would literally have to sacrifice so much in order to become a believer. And, and I see that connection for us today. How many people are so invested in the culture or in the things of this world that are against God that it's too, it just, they just feel like it's too much of a sacrifice to believe? I, I see a connection yeah. there. I don't know if you do too. Oh, yeah, Totally. Totally. And I mean, this is the, even if they wanted to, like, if let's imagine them to be the rich man that comes up to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? Well, what does Jesus tell him? He loves him. And yet he says, go sell all that you have. One, that's the one thing you lack. And then it shows them, oh, well, that's my idol. Um, here, it's a bit more plain because they're they think their idol is actually Artemis, but it's really money. Um, right. They're all right. connected, right? Um, and but yeah, you're completely right. And uh, we we should also remember um, that uh, following Christ, being a disciple of Christ, is not um, does not come without suffering um, at some point, right? And uh, some suffering occurs. Um, more often than others. Like we're going to have to give something up to have Christ um, in this life. Um, and um, when we uh, hear, hear this story, they certainly are unwilling to let go of the riches that uh, idolatry um, has, has given them. And this is the, the way that Satan really works, right? He gives us the things that we think that we want and when we, um, when we have it all, when we get to the point of hearing the words of our Lord Jesus Christ to call us out of that, we are very unwilling to give up what we think we need. Um, and we, we certainly do not trust that God will take care of us. 
Um, and hence why I think Demetrius is so, um, and so adamant. We need to make sure that our trade does not come into disrepute um, or that the temple is counted as nothing, but we need to dispose of all these things uh, that are around us. Um, and hence why the, the riot begins um, is he's, he's rallying his, his fellow silversmiths um, and uh, getting them, getting them fired up um, for this riot um, that we will hear in the next couple of verses. Let's hear that in those next couple of verses. I'm going to start with 28. Now, when they heard this, uh, I'll pause just to say that the they are all of the craftsmen there, and they're listening to this plea. So when the craftsmen heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and um, Aristarchus, uh, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. All right, I'm, we're going to pause there at the end of 31. So, That's right. Perfect. So I was going to have yeah, they stop get, there. <laughs> yeah, they get, they get wrapped up in this, in this passion plea. He's going, they're defaming our goddess. They're defaming our livelihood. They're a threat to our existence. And everybody has a rallying cry. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Um, yeah. So they basically start a big fight. Well, and I don't think, I mean, yeah, it's a, certainly a fight or at least um, everybody is, uh, it's a mob mentality um, going to the theater, right? Can you imagine? Um, I can't think of too many. I, I've not been a part of any of those things before, and I've not really seen too many um, firsthand. But um, I do have, having had several uh, different discussions about mob, mob mentality, people just go with what's happening around them. Um, right. And they don't think um, about what's happening. They just follow. Um, and that's what we see. Right. They have the rally cry of Demetrius um, and they're just they're They are at a fever pitch. Um, and uh, I feel bad for Gaius and Aristarchus uh, being like th thrown in with them. <laughs> Um, or dragging with them. So who knows how bad this really, if they were being drug, literally being drug or drug along by just how big the crowd was. Um, I believe they were probably drug, drug in um, and probably fearing for their lives. But um, it's uh, quite, um, quite an interesting thing because we don't hear too often, you know, the city being filled with confusion. What's going on? Um, and, uh, and, and the like, um, a little note, um, about, uh, I can't remember if we've already met Gaius in Acts or not. Um, but Gaius, um, is, uh, someone who has traveling companion of Paul who was seized by the mob, like right there. Um, he's baptized by Paul in Corinth, according to first Corinthians 1 14. Um, and, um, possibly unlikely um, move to Rome. Paul writes of um, 
living with another Gaius um, in Romans 16, 23. Um, and then you have Aristarchus there as well. Um, he is a uh, man from Thessalonica, um, and Paul calls him a fellow prisoner um, of the faith or uh, of, the, of the ministry um, in uh, Colossians 4, verse 10. Um, and so um, we have two men who are certainly in the, um, the, the group of Paul there, um, Paul's companions in traveling um, and uh, bringing him, uh, bringing, bringing with them the, uh, the ministry of the gospel um, and uh, working with Paul in the mission of bringing others to Christ. And uh, you gotta love Paul, right? Wanting to go into to the crowd um, and desiring probably to get Gaius and Aristarchus out of there, um, or um, perhaps even Paul having the opportunity, hey, they're already in the theater, let's start talking to them. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but yeah, I, um, I, I tend to think that that's kind of a little bit of a brawl in this theater. Um, and, and here's, I guess, here's why, first of all, I think it's worth talking about what the theater looks like. It's, it's one of uh, these big semi-circle kind of stadium things that you typically think of from this time period, um, would have seated probably about 24,000 people, uh, maybe a little smaller in Paul's day, but still, this is a big place. And you mentioned Gaius and Aristarchus, um, but these uh, Asiarchs, which are the upper class rulers in charge of Ephesus, basically, the fact that it says even some of the Asiarchs, that is the people who are in charge, who are friends of his, which also, I guess, gives us a little insight into how much influence Paul had in different levels of society. Anyway, even they are sending to him saying, don't go into the theater. So either they're worried about his safety or they're they're kind of looking out both ways. They they don't want their friend Paul to be harmed, but as the administrators of Ephesus, they also don't want the problem to get worse. Yeah, you're probably more right than me, but it is kind of interesting just to listen, just to think about what Paul is having to think about with Gaius and Aristarchus there already. But yeah, um having I didn't get that um that note about the Asiarchs, but thank you. That's actually extremely helpful. And it is interesting to note, just like you said, how high up uh, Paul went with uh, friends in Ephesus over his time. Um, and I guess we'll talk about more about that a little later um, in the later verses of this chapter, when they start speaking, the town clerk starts talking. Sure. Um, to try to calm everybody down. Um, well, and, and you're talking about mob mentality earlier, right? So they get all worked up. Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. Um, you know, again, the one who stirred them up, this, uh, this Demetrius guy, you know, he, he's already showed his hand. He cares about the money. So he gets them invested by what, they, what their real God is, as you said earlier, the money. Then he riles them up behind the spiritual figure of Artemis. And um, I, I dug into it, and you, you're 100% right. This this would have been this amazing, huge temple of Artemis, and the city would have taken great pride in it. Um, and so, yeah, so there's an economic detriment. There's sort of a, a nationalistic uh, thing behind it. There's a pride behind it. And so they just all kind of go crazy. And Gaius and Aristocrat, or Aristarchus, 
um, you know, they, they kind of get wrapped up in it all. And this is what Paul is facing. Um, anything else, brother, before we take just a few minutes for a break that you want the people to know from this section? Cause when we come back, we'll see what happens next. Anything well, else, brother? There's one, one final thing just to note here is just in most cases, the Jews are the ones who want to, uh, force Paul out. And here we have the Gentiles, those who are certainly um, under the, the, the spell, if you want to say, of the idolatry that is uh, money and Artemis. So this is what That's you're seeing a, here. You're seeing a different, a different uh, way of the city um, kicking or trying to kick them out. Yeah, I, I think that really is a good point because so often are the Jews kind of the bad guys for running them off. And let's not get the idea that just all the Gentiles openly with with open arms and open minds accepted everything about the Christian faith. They obviously had their own gods and false beliefs to contend with, too. So, yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Yeah, I was uh, just rereading. I was like, oh, wait a second. That's actually a really neat little point. For this situation so now it doesn't mean that the jews were um all gung-ho for the gospel but in <laughs> right, this situation it certainly um seems that uh the gentiles have their own their own problems and their own issues to to work out um with paul and um here we have the um this riot um and fight um coming coming about so and the jews are going to uh Verse 33, you're going to have a Jew um, put for Alexander, one of the whom the Jews had put forward. Um, we'll see. We'll see how that turns out um, a little later. All right. Well, we will check that out. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, we are going to keep on going. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me this morning is the Reverend Jacob Herkamp. He's the pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Noblesville, Indiana. But friends, first, I just want to let you know how blessed I feel to have each one of you with us this morning as we study the book of Acts. Remember, if you have any questions or comments or you just want to say hello, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com or find me on Facebook. When you write, though, please let me know where you're listening from and how you connect to the show. Maybe you listen over the air on AM850 in St. Louis or as a podcast 
online or on demand at KFUO.org or using the KFUO radio app. I'm always interested in how you stay connected to the show. Well, let's get back to the Bible. Uh, brother, before the break, we were just kind of, we, we paused in the middle of the action because Paul's wanting to rush in to the crowd, uh, but his disciple, the disciples around him, pardon me, uh, Jesus' disciples, wouldn't let him. And then some of the folks in charge, they say, no, 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 Paul, don't do it. And that's where we're at with verse 32. And I'm just going to read that. Now, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. So some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. All right, let's pause there. Uh, two hours. <laughs> Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Over and over and over again. Two hours. They have been worked up into a frenzy, haven't they, brother? Oh, yeah. it's uh, They're madder than a hornet's nest. Um, so, yeah, it's um, something that... Um, some of you, some of our listeners probably watched uh, the World Cup um, over the past weeks and the like. And I'm sure um, if uh, you're a fan of Spain, uh, people are still um, crying out España, España, Viva España for uh, the ladies um, as they just won the World Cup. Um, and uh, that's about the only thing that I can equate this to um, in a uh, positive sense. Uh, but this was not that, <laughs> um, but yeah, two hours. Could you imagine, um, just the deafening cry, um, across, across the city? Well, and I think that I would have probably not hung around if I were some of these other guys, you know, while they're out there crying, great as Artemis, great as Artemis. I mean, I think I'd have made my way on down the road, but you know they're they're putting that's the mob this... mentality though that's the mob what? mentality i mean because there's because i mean luke even says they don't some of them don't even know why they come together no. yeah that's what there. i was going to point out they they have no clue and i and isn't that such a true statement though and, and not just in mob mentalities but how often do we just we we, we get caught up in our emotions and we're thinking more uh, emotionally than we are intelligently. And, and obviously this is what's happening. So I don't even think it can, it has to be in a mob situation. I think individually no. we can obviously uh, cave in to our emotional, our, our emotional instabilities. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's certainly the case as well. I mean, cause you've insulted both their livelihood and their gods. That's going to be a cause for trouble. Well, well, the Jews put forward this guy named Alexander. Alexander is a Greek name. It actually means defender of mankind. Um, happen to know that because my son's name is Alexander. But anyway, um, they put Alexander forward, and he starts to get their attention, but then they figure out pretty quick that he's a Jew. Uh, makes me wonder if they put him forward be because of his Greek name. Maybe they thought they were going to slip something under them, but nope, they wouldn't have it. Yeah, it is kind of an odd, odd thing here. The Jews actually seem to be friendly to the Christians or at least to say, hey, just let's calm down now. But because um, we're going to find out in a minute the town from the town clerk, what 
these these folks have not um paul has not spoken ill of artemis um and the like um so it's kind of a interesting uh, development to see um a jew uh be put forward to i guess quasi defend paul and the christians um in this situation um but uh it's a uh, it, it, it doesn't go over very well at all. Well, and they have a common, I don't want to say enemy, but the, the Jews would have not been very thought, thought of very fondly by the Ephesians because, well, they only believed in Yahweh. So they were also practically atheist to these folks who had a pantheon of gods. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, yeah, I don't understand the, the, um, the mentality of, hey, we're going to send uh, Alexandria out here, but it's a... Uh, it, it's a nice try. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice try, so. but it did not work. That's for sure. So, you know, uh, after two hours of crying out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, uh, we find ourselves at verse 35. Here we go. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis? and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Uh, that's We're going to pause there. He dismissed the assembly. Sounds like, you know, they all just quietly left. But I think he's probably like, all right, go home. There's nothing that you can accomplish by doing it this way. So you have this Ephesian clerk who's appealing to the rule of law. He's saying, Listen, these guys aren't doing anything, and if you have a complaint, we have a procedure for this. Uh, so he's actually bringing some, some, I guess, uh, a reason and sensibility to the to the argument. Yeah, and it's it's uh, interesting that it actually comes through, um, and um, it's heard and listened to um, for the by by all the folks who are there in the middle of the rioting. I assume after two hours of crying out great as Artemis, somebody finally said, why are we doing this? Um, but um, yeah, getting the crowd to be quiet. Um, who is there? Who does not know the city of the Ephesians as temple keeper of the great Artemis? We've already talked about Artemis um, being their patron deity. Um, the sacred stone that fell from the sky likely um, would be just a meteorite. Um, but um you can um see or in some places it's actually an image the sacred image that fell from the sky and not not stone um so it has a image of a deity or something of that nature um in in its in, in the mind there um it can help our help us understand a bit more but it's probably just a meteorite that fell um from, from space and the like. And then they attributed 
um, a goddess, or they, they attributed it to Artemis, um, and so on. And then uh, you brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. So Paul's ministry um, in all of this, he's not speaking ill of, of the goddess. He's not speaking ill of, of the money-making per se, right? Um, even when he goes into other places, like when he goes to Athens, you know, he says, I see that you're all religious. Um, but I'm going to tell you of an unknown God. Um, and he doesn't, he does not fight, um, the, uh, he doesn't attack the pagan gods with derogatory words or names like we might see, um, say in the old Testament with some of the prophets who, um, Ezekiel is known to use scatological terms, uh, to speak of the gods of the, um, of the neighboring country, the neighboring nations, um, and the like that seem to have a grasp on Israel. Uh, Paul doesn't do that. Well, you say there seems to be a message in that for us today, right? Because, you know, no one's, no one's ever come about to the faith or been saved by being convinced, you know, by you that they are all wrong. You know, that's just not the place where you start with folks. Um, even Jesus didn't do that. We see him, he approaches people. There's so many sins that he could point out and he doesn't sit there and try to correct all their erroneous beliefs in one session. He just points to himself. And so I, I see Paul doing that as he goes out. He doesn't, he's not going to try to get them defensive. He's just going to proclaim Christ, which of course is how the Holy Spirit works faith anyway. Well, but yeah, and, I, I, and, there's a lesson and, for us. And definitely there is. And there's certainly the aspect of when what Paul is preaching is going to lend itself to self-reflection, right? Um, when Paul is preaching about what Christ has done, well, okay, well, am I, and why has he come? Um, are, am I living according to, is my life somehow, um, outside of bounds that um, Paul has um, spoken about. Um, and certainly that's why um, Demetrius is so defensive. He knows he has heard what Paul is saying, and he knows that um, it's extremely dangerous to his way of life. And so that's why he's getting all defensive, right? Um, other people will repent of, of their, of their sinful ways of living and so on and so forth, um, and excuse themselves from, um, from idol worship and, uh, foods tainted by idolatry and, and the like, as Paul talks about with the Corinthians. Um, but, uh, here we see Demetrius, um, do go in the opposite direction, doubling down and hardening his heart even further, uh, to the point of, um, to this riot and then here. Uh, but Paul in and of himself is not speaking derogatorily um, about the, um, about Artemis. Um, and like you said, that's something that we should take in, take into account now with how we go about um, evangelism and um, how we do apologetics um, as well.
Well, it's a it's a fascinating situation that's happening. You know, this town clerk is quieting the folks. He's talking some sense into them. You know, you, you talked about the great complex that is the Artemis Temple and how integrated it is to the economy. And, and you mentioned the sacred stone that fell from the sky. You know, I like to think, just kind of jumping back a little bit, I'd like to think that that's uh, very much a, probably a meteorite because I don't think it's uncommon for mm -hmm. people to put those objects that just fell from the sky in their sacred spaces. I, I think of, of course, uh, hundreds of years later, but you have in Mecca, you have the, the, the stone in the side of the Kaaba, and it, it's a meteorite. You have stories of, I think, King Tutankhamun's uh, dagger was made from iron, which was meteorite iron. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that makes sense that that's the case. But overall, what I'm seeing is you have people who are so invested in these this way of life and the things that they believe that they're going to naturally be defensive if someone were to come in and try to upend those things. And trying to put ourselves in their position, I just can't help but think, well, what if we were in church and suddenly someone were to walk in and say, hey, I'm I'm Jesus returned or or uh, Jesus isn't coming back or something that to our ears would be sacrilegious. We're probably not going to sit there and say, well, tell us more about your ideas and we'll carefully consider them. Um, no, of course not. We'd run them out on a rail. So I, I think when we look at these people and we see, wow, what a resistance that they're getting. Well, of course that Paul and all of his cronies are getting resistance because this is a radical new idea to these people. And, and I think when we realize that, then I, I think we'll be a little less discouraged when we go out into our lives and we start proclaiming the faith and we wonder why people don't join us or why people don't dedicate their lives to Christ. However you say, you know, we Lutherans yeah. know that it's the Holy spirit, but we sit there and we wonder, but that's why, because this is, this is huge. Only the Holy spirit can give that faith. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, and I was just going to say, I mean, it's when and where he chooses, right? So Paul can go out. I mean, even Jesus, right. In the gospels, Jesus you think every single person that he ever come into contact with would believe him. Well, the rich man, the rich young man goes away sad. Right. Um, yeah, that's a good, even point. though Jesus loves him, he goes away sad. He hears exactly what Jesus says, but he doesn't want to do it. Um, and then you have so many other people who Jesus um, comes into contact with. He casts out a demon um, and the demon goes into the pigs right? Well, the people around that region say, go away from us, get away from us. They want nothing to do with Jesus because of what they just witnessed, um, because they're afraid uh, more than anything. Um, and I think in that situation, but the, um, it doesn't, just because um, the gospel is preached does not mean that um, everybody is simply going to, to believe it uh, on the first go. Um, but what's cool too is, and I, I'm thinking about what Paul does, you know, he writes his, um, he writes the letter to the Ephesians and he barely brings this up. I mean, he talks about beasts and Ephesians and that kind of thing, but, um, he doesn't really, to my recollection, does not bring this situation up to, uh, up for discussion but simply encourages them to hold down, hold down what they've been taught. 
uh, that they're in the body of Christ and uh, that the mystery of, of their um, being brought into um, this identity of, of the body of Christ through baptism is, is, uh, is glorious. And so Paul continually trusts that the word will do the work that, it, that Christ has promised the word will do whether or not they hear it the first time and believe it the first time, but sooner or later, the word will work in the way that God, God promises. Well, even though this city secretary, which is basically the chief executive of the city, even though uh, he recognizes that there's a problem and he's got to solve it because he doesn't want to be accused of rioting by the Romans. Cause if the Romans come in and they bring in military, then if, Ephesus is going to lose some of its privileges, or maybe it's right to self-govern, or this guy definitely is going to lose his job. But even though he's working out of, I think, self-motivation, we see here how God's even using the people who are in charge, the people that are uh, uh, heathens, right? They don't believe in God. They, they believe in false gods, uh, but yet God's still using them to quell this situation. Uh, they're ministers of the Lord, whether they believe in him or not. Um, well, we're getting ready to now continue with Paul's journeys. Uh, we're going to get into chapter 20 now. I'm just going to read through verse 6, and that'll be the end of our text for today. This will serve as a nice segue for our discussion tomorrow. Here we go. Chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Antichus and Trophimus. Trophimus, pardon me. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Okay, that's where we're going to stop for today, this morning, but I, I do want to kind of get into this next part for, you know, lay the foundation for tomorrow's discussion. Uh, but after, after, I guess, everything settled down, Paul says, you know what? let's 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 book it. I, I think three years is enough in Ephesus and he heads out to Macedonia. Take us through what happens, brother. Yeah, so um, this uh, trying to uh, put this on a map is a bit difficult sometimes if you're looking at your maps in your in your Bible, you're wondering, okay, which one which trip is this now? Um, but um, and how was he how is he going? But he wants to go. Uh, remember, he, he said at the very beginning of all of this, of our reading, that he wanted to make it to Rome. Um, and, um, but the, uh, yeah, he's like at verse 21. Um, now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Um, but instead of leaving from Ephesus and going from Ephesus down to Jerusalem, he decides to go the other direction, to go north, um, from what I gather um, in our reading and looking at the maps and figuring out where the cities were. And he goes. Um, and um, 
it's quite the quite the deal um, going through those regions. We don't know exactly those regions um, might might be, but departing for the Macedonia, going through those regions, giving them much encouragement, uh, he came to Greece. So um, we get um, again the continuation of the preaching, preaching to those, um, probably to the churches that have already been established, um, giving them continued encouragement in um, staying steadfast in the faith that has been delivered to them by Paul's preaching and the, the preaching of the other apostles and brothers um, and these disciples that are around as well. Um, and spending three months, um, here we have another situation where the Jews are ready to um, kill him. Um, and uh, God, God sees and says, nope, he's not going to die today. Um, and instead of going, setting sail for Syria, um, he was returning through Macedonia. All of those um, men there, you can see most of them in various other um, books of the Bible, especially Gaius. Uh, Timothy, Aristarchus, we already talked about, um, um, and uh, Tychius as well is uh, found in a few places. Um, Tychius is described as a beloved brother and faithful minister in Colossians 4 verse 7, a fellow servant um, there as well. Um, so you have, have several men walking with or going with, traveling with Paul um, in this band of Paul's, um, we don't want to call them disciples of Paul per se, but they certainly were learning with Paul and working with Paul in the um, mission that Christ had given to Paul um, and then to the rest of the men. And some of these uh, men, like Timothy in particular, will become their, a pastor and um, not only a pastor, but a bishop um, overseeing um, other elders or pastors um, in the future. And so um, most of these were, uh, were waiting for, for us at Troas, he says. Um, and we have the we. Um, so Luke is there. Um, at least in, seems that in verse six, we have a change. When he had gone through these regions and gone, this is verse two again, um, when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, so on and so forth. Verse 5, they went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. So I, it's kind of questionable whether or not Luke is with Paul um, during this entire episode of travel. Or um, if somewhere Luke gets picked up along the way. Um, seems more... Uh, maybe that's the way it happened. I'm not sure. We're, we're not told. Uh, but Luke is there with the use of the um, word us. And then, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. Paul is certainly um, celebrating Pentecost um, in the Christian sense um, with the giving of the Holy Spirit. But the term unleavened, the, the days of unleavened bread, um, and unleavened bread is Passover and and that kind of thing too. So you get the idea. It's actually the Passover. My apologies. Um, I said Pentecost. Uh, but the days of unleavened bread, he's celebrating Easter, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And in five days, we came to them at Troas and where we stayed for another seven days. So um, a lot of movement happening there um, and a lot of time to get all of that um, done, um, giving encouragement along the way, going into Greece, um, having the situation um, of Sy the, the, the ship trip to Syria being derailed um, and then deciding to go through Macedonia yet again um, instead. That's quite, um, quite a lot of uh, travel um, in a small um, six verses, especially when you have all the names of the men as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Paul is making use of the time. It's spring. Uh, you know, we indicate, of course, from the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but, you know, he's traveling when the weather has improved. But yeah, he is definitely, has a packed itinerary, is making best use of the time. Uh, but we will pick up with him at Troas when we come back. Anything else, brother, before we bring our show to a close? Uh, i be honest with you, right now, um, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what happens in the next um, <laughs> set of readings with uh, uh, Paul being long-winded. Ah, uh, um, yes. Uh, some so, unintentional defenestration going on that's in right. tomorrow's the, the, episode. The, 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 well, the congregation well, lets them know that you're, you're, you're long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well we'll, well, we'll leave it there for now, but I'd like to thank my guest this morning. It's the Reverend Jacob Herkamp. He's the pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Noblesville, Indiana. Once again, Pastor, thanks for being on the program. My absolute pleasure and God's blessings to you and thank you for your work and ministry. Thank you, brother. You too. Now, folks, tomorrow we're going to finish up Acts chapter 20. So Paul, on his way to Jerusalem, as we already know, stops in the city of Troas, and he's gathering on the first day of the week, and the believers come together to break bread and share in the fellowship. But Paul aware that he's about to leave them, engages in, let's just say, an extended discourse, speaking until midnight. And as he's teaching and preaching, a young man, Eutychus, sitting in a window, falls asleep and tragically falls from the third-story window. However, Paul miraculously restores him to life. It's a pretty popular story, but you know what? There's more to it than just that fascinating event, and we'll learn about that tomorrow. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.